Welcome to the Raising Them Ready podcast for parents. Here we encourage and support parents who are doing the best they know how to raise their kids to become confident, capable, and kind in today's ever-changing and often unpredictable world. I'm Jonathan Kathman. I'm a family man, career sociologist, and best-selling author of life skills and character-building titles for tweens, teens, young adults, and parents. And thanks to the success of the Raising Ready book my wife Eric and I wrote together, I'm now also hosting this, the Raising Ready podcast for parents. Yesterday was a big holiday celebration here in the United States. Now, I know this podcast has loyal followers around the world, nations that both share holidays and enjoy their own national celebrations. So thank you for indulging me for just a moment to tell you about what happened in our home on this American Thanksgiving. You see, the Catherine family tends to go big with our holiday celebrations, and this Thanksgiving was no exception. If I got the final headcount correct, something like 30 people, family, friends, and a few new faces filled our home, backyard, and driveway with laughter, games, feasting, and an absolutely epic dance party. And it just so happens that the newest guest to our Thanksgiving table is also joining me on this episode of the Raising Them Ready podcast. You see, the week prior to Thanksgiving, I sat in Peter Mutabazi's kitchen talking about why dads are so important to their kids, especially for kids who are in a home with a positive father figure for the first time. Let me briefly explain. Peter and I were having this conversation because he's unlike any other father I know. You'll understand what I mean as you hear him share his story, and believe me, it's one amazing story. Spoiler alert, it's about his transformation from living as a street kid in Uganda to becoming a foster dad in the United States. Peter shares from his own deeply personal experience the reason why being a good father is such an important part of parenting kids who grew up to become confident, capable, and kind. So being the kind of dad who shares hope, love, and purpose with their kids is what Peter and I talk about in this episode of the Raising Them Ready podcast for parents. Okay, Peter, let's talk about being dads. I'm a dad. You're a dad. Yes. But I think you got me beat. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I have two, two kids. How many kids do you have? Right now, I have seven, and I've had 36 in the last uh, seven years. Yeah, pause right there. Um, you just said, right now, I have seven, and 36 in the last how many years? Seven years. Okay, you're actually going to take some explaining. So roll us through an understanding of why you have so many kids. Right. Well, so I'm a foster dad, and I've been a foster dad for the last seven years. And in foster care, you know, you have kids for, you know, foster care we all understand is you have children temporarily. So for, for the last seven years, I've had temporarily either for six months, 12 months, one year, one year and a half, um, 36 children. Uh, but right now I've adopted three and have four foster kids. So you have a house of seven meals a day, not counting you, two dogs. Correct. Lawn that needs to get mowed. Right. You know, cars that got to be cared for. How much laundry are you doing? Oh, you don't even want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I pass by and I get a panic. I'm like, no, I'm not looking there. I'm just, I'll just keep going. Okay, so you're doing this as a single dad also. Correct. As a single dad. Why? And I enjoy it a lot. I don't, I mean, not why are you single, but why did you decide to commit to being a father of so many as a single man? Well, you know, I come from Africa, and I come from a place where it was defined. Men, you, you go dig the garden or you bring the money. That's all your job. You don't go to the kitchen. You don't participate in family, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think for me that really rubbed me the wrong way, especially I didn't have a good dad. My dad was the most abusive human being you could imagine. So for me, I grew up 
not against the norm, but, but, but the standard of what the world tells us just didn't make sense for me. Like, well, you know, my father was, he said he, he was the head of the family, but he wasn't. He was the head of the family that abuses his family in a way. So for me, coming from that world, I really wanted to do something different. You know, I came from the world where uh, I never saw men participate. You know, I travel over the world. I saw families who were adapting, but I never seen a, a single man adapting anywhere. So I thought, mm, there's no way. So for me, once I knew I could as a foster dad, I said, look, I don't, yes, I want to get married at some point, <laughs> but while I'm waiting how can I use my time and my resource to truly be a dad for someone who needs that? So tell us about the first moment you realized you're a dad. Well, <laughs> it didn't happen that way. So I uh, went through, we call it a map class, where you learn to, to be a false parent. So they tell you, hey, you pass, you, here's your license. And so you think, well, maybe a week from now. Wait, you had to go through a class and get a license to be a foster parent, and all I had to do was show up at the hospital on birthday? <laughs> you had more probably pre-parenting training than most dads Absolutely. ever receive. You know, on trauma, on the difficulty of having kids and what they come with. And I think it's, it's, it should be recommended for every 18 to 20 three year old before they become dads. Hey, here's what parenting breathe looks like. You know, I think will help so many dads not maybe to run away, not to stay and, and be mm -hmm. there for their kids. So for me, yes, you know, within an hour they said, Hey, there's a kid coming and I'm like, oh no, what do I do? You know? And I panicked because I had never been a dad. So I thought, oh, he's not gonna like me. He's gonna run away. <laughs> that was my whole thinking but he comes back he comes uh, he walks you know he, he comes i put him to bed and the following morning i had slipped behind the door so i put a couch because i was worried that he woke wake up and run away you know he wakes up he's like you Dad. blocked the door with the couch yeah and slept so, on the couch absolutely because i was like he's five think about it. he's five where could he have gone <laughs> <laughs> yeah we might be surprised <laughs> exactly and he wakes up he's like dad what are we having for breakfast i'm like wait that's all you're asking? You know, I think from there I knew, hey, I'm making of a big deal that should not be. And that really helped me to say, hey, I'm going to jump in and do what I can. Know what the child tells me or the worries that I had in my head say, no, don't, don't follow that. But just follow your heart day by day. And that really helped me to be comfortable and to be a dad. When my son was born, the doctor handed me Reed and it was my responsibility to give him his first like path. And in this moment, I am shedding tears. And I, I'm like, I don't know that I'm ready for this. I don't feel at all prepared. And I simply said, God, please. And then I had a series of small requests. I had to reach past myself. How do you do it? Well, I think for me, remember, you know, the, our children in Foscare belong to the state. So someone is entrusting you with a child you never met, with a, you don't have no clue where they come from that, hey, I trust you and I'm entrusting you to be a parent to this child. I mean, the, the, the weight of that responsibility for me was that, that maybe the most scary. You know, God, what if I mess it up? That I wasn't going to mess it up for me, but I was going to mess it up for the child, for the family and for the state that entrusted me the child. So I felt the burden that I needed extra help. Like, I don't know, I, I thought I was a Christian until I became a foster dad. That's when I was like, boy... I need to be on my knees more than I could have ever thought. Every day you wake up and realize, man, there's so much I don't know, you know? Uh, just even putting him to bed was a battle uh, and realizing that there's nothing I can force a child to go to bed, but figuring out how and being literally on my knees 
God, what did I sign up for? All these different personalities. Uh, is, what's that like when they show up in your home and they look to you and say, lead? And you're looking at them saying, I don't even know you yet. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, our foster kids are, are really adaptable. And that, used to that because most of them, by the time they come to your home, they've been in 12 other homes or seven other homes. So they are used to it. So they walk in and say, okay, where's my bed? You're like, uh, you know, my name is Peter. <laughs> <laughs> they know the drill, you know, uh, but making sure that I make them comfortable. But also I'm not the same drill as they've been the previous family. You know, there's a reason why they are now come to my home so to make sure that I really help them to say it's different here and I really want to be a dad and the other part is most of our foster kids never had a dad so coming to a home where there's one single dad usually I think it's more of wow this is cool and it's different uh, that usually for me I think helps because they are really curious you know you're a dad just just you I've never seen that before uh, in some way they're just wanting to know how do you do it but also, it's kind of cool that you're the only dad. Why do you think it's so important that kids have a dad? Oh, man. It's hard to explain the difference between a child who, who's got a dad and who does not. You know, In my example, in my life is, I've had kids who are troubled. You know, they've been in, in, in homes where they're kicked out or they've been daycare and schools where they're having trouble. And as soon as they walk into my home, those behaviors change, not completely, but they change in some way. And usually people come and say, what did you do? Like, what did you do that we've been trying for the last four years, but we couldn't get this kid to do so? What did you do? I'm like, I don't know. I didn't do anything, you know, and then come to realize that. These kids never had a dad. And in some way, having me was more of, look, I, I got a dad. And one of my kids, I'll give an example, was every time he would fight, was always people say, I'll go home and tell my dad. But he didn't have a dad that he can go talk to. You know, so he solved the problem by himself. But now that I was in his life, he's like, yeah, I'll tell my dad too. You know, the pride, the, the joy, like, hey, I got someone on my corner who's my father. So you can't threaten me in some way. That really that changed their behaviors, because they had someone that can stand that gap, but also that can fight for them, you know. Even teenagers, uh, sometimes they get in trouble in school, and I can hear them on, on the phone call on the other side, my dad is coming, you know. You hear that tone of my dad, more of like my fighter, someone I trust, someone I, someone that believes in me is coming to, to fight for me or to listen for me. And for me, that, that really puts in perspective what a father role is, how that is important. I think our society don't don't see it that way. Mm. But but for me, I see the, the importance of, of dads in their kids' lives. Okay, so I meet with a lot of men. We have discussions about how we learn to be fathers, how we learn to be men, how we learn to be fathers. And you have a uh, very different backstory than most every man I meet with. Your example, as you've already alluded, is you had a, a, a very bad father figure as an example. But then you had a long period of time where there was not a father figure in your life on a daily basis because you lived on the streets. Correct. I want to hear about that. And then how did you learn, how did you decide what a good father figure looked like? Because then you had to end up showing that to your children. Correct. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just be blunt. I'm really tired of men telling me, they have an excuse for being a bad dad because they had a bad dad. You didn't have a bad dad. You had a terrible dad. Correct. And then you had a horrific 
childhood, Correct. and yet you're a remarkable father. Unpack that a little bit. You know, so I grew up in a, in a family where my father was abusive in every shape form you could imagine. You know, at the age of four, I couldn't walk in the house if he was there. If he was sitting there, you had to find a way um, to get in the house without having a contact, eye contact with him. I grew up, never looked my my dad's eye, you know, until when I was in my 30s. But also the abuse that came towards my, my mother. So you have this dad who's abusive to you, but also to your mom, the one mom that loves you. And there's no way you can protect. So you can imagine the tension, the, the hatred as well. So for me, at the age of 10, I said, look, I know my father will kill me because he was that capable. But I was like, but why should I give him the opportunity to take my life? Why? And so I ran to the bus station and asked the lady, hey, of all these buses, which one goes the farthest? And for me, running away wasn't like I was looking for a better home. It was more of, I'm going to die, but I'd rather die in the hands of a stranger. Another man somewhere. So running away was my way of, I don't want, I never want you to bury my dead body, but also never, you take my life. So I'm not giving you those two choices. So I got on the bus and I went 500 kilometers away. And of course, I, I didn't know where I was going. As I said, I was just wanted to die. Well, I ended up being a, you know, a street kid. Where life was miserable a hundred times. The abuse was literally a hundred times than what I had home. But there was a difference. The abusers were never my parents. We were not related. But two, you're a street kid who lives in the garbage, who smells like garbage, lives in the sewer. Most of you are treated like a stray animal, literally. Like they looked at you like a garbage. And that was my life. That's all I knew. So in my entire life, there was no kind thing I ever had from another human being, apart from my mom. I had these words from my dad. You'll never mount anything. You are nobody. You're worthless. You're not my child. I wish you were never born so I did not have to feed you. That's what I had when I woke up. That's what I had when I went to bed. So all my life, that's 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 the the dad example that I had that just in every way, shape, form you can imagine. So so for me, I didn't really, it's not like I wanted to be a better person. It's not like I wanted to dream. There wasn't any place, any time to dream on the streets or at home. Every day was harsh that I didn't want to see the next day until I met the stranger. I had been on the streets for five years and I wanted to steal from someone. So I followed him and I was trying to steal from him. He's like, hey, what's your name? I was like, wait, what? Humanly speaking, I've been on, on the street for five years. No one ever asked me my name. You want to know my name? But also scared me because everyone who was kind was abusive as well. So for him asking me my name, I was like, you can abuse me, you know? But I told him anyway. So he gave me something to eat and left. Next week he comes back, he gave me something to eat. He left. And he always called me by my name. And I was like, this guy is strange. I'm just waiting for him to abuse me. But he gives me food. You know, because everyone, that's the example of the kindness we've had. You know, as a street kid, kindness meant danger. Kindness meant abuse after. So he fed me for one year and a half, and one day he said, hey, if you had an opportunity to go to school, would you love to go to school? You know, he was there laughing like, wait, what? Why would I go to school? I live in the sewer that smells so bad that no human being goes there. Why would I go to school? Man, school is for people who can hope, have a home, have a future. No. You know, but he comes back and says, hey, if you go to school, there'll be lunch, dinner, and breakfast. I was like, okay, what time do we go? Because he spoke the language that I understood. So he took me to school, and that changed my life. And then later, he brought me to his home. So now, not only was I in a boarding school, but now I'm in a, I'm in a home where I saw a man, you know, talking to his kids. I was like, is that real? You know, mm. sitting on the table with his kids, like, is that possible? 
You know, I never heard him yell or, you know, he would tell his kids, no, you're smart. I love what you do. You're like, wait, that's a show. It can't be really true. And so I observed what he did over and over and over and over. And I realized that, wait a minute, this is real, you know. But also got to know that his faith, he was really a faithful man and, and how he treated his kids really helped me to understand that, hey, now I had something to dream about. Like if I ever want to have a family, this is how I'm going to treat them. Because now I had a good example of what a father looks like. So for me, he's the one who shaped what a father role is from a negative to a positive, you know, that truly helped me look into what our father looks like. But also I think not having a good dad and what I longed for as a child has helped me to be in that shoes for the child, especially being a foster dad, to know that you've been in a hundred homes and you've been told you're worthless. And I knew what that meant as a kid. And being a parent to that child, I think for me was the perfect uh, calling in a way that I, I have been there. There's nothing our kids have gone through in foster care that I haven't gone through. So for me, it's not like, oh, you're stealing? You're lying? No, that was me at some point. But I know how the kindness of another man changed my life, how he saw the best in me when no human being saw the best in me. And that's my parenting role, you know, seeing the best in our kids, even sometimes when they, they don't know. And in turn, you have given that to your family. Well, he also told me legacy. I think that's what he said. You know, I, when he took me in, I said, why me? There were there were 3,000 kids on Swiss of Kampala. But he chose me. So I was like, but why me? Why would you? And he just said, Peter, I just want to be faithful, you know? And my legacy isn't so I can say I own 10 homes or I drove the best car. For him, he said, on my deathbed, you know, if there were kids say he changed my life. And that, for me, put that in perspective. On my deathbed is my legacy. Those who will come and say, you changed my life. You were there when I needed you is what legacy is. And I think for me that set the, it's more the standard of what, what legacy is uh, and, and what he was looking for in future. What's the legacy you want to leave with your kids? That whatever resource they have, they will use it to bless someone else. That it's not theirs to enjoy and by themselves, but it's a resource for them to use to help someone else. So to fathers, you know, what do you think every dad needs to share with their kids? Every single father you meet, you're thinking, I hope this man possesses this quality to share with their children. You know, I think for me being a single dad and having, you know, two girls has really helped me how to live, not both worlds, to be tender and to be kind and to remember the hugs, to remember the words. You know, I have a daughter, she's in my ear to know, hey, how do I encourage her? How do I give and say, you know, you're precious, you're chosen, you're gift to me. You know, finding simple everyday things to tell to my kids. You know, I realize that my kids are not looking for a Jordan shoe, you know. My kids are looking for when it's tough at school and they say, Dad, it was really, really hard to say, it's okay, it's going to be okay. That's all, you know. That for me, the secret sauce has been in the simplest things because that's what I had from that man. You know, every time I wanted to quit, he said, yeah, you can quit, but we'll always be here for you. I mean, who, who says that, you know? It's a simple thing. You know, he, he showed me an example. One day, you know, in Africa, men, ha own, you know, very few own cars during my time. So a man drives, the wife sits in, in, in the passenger seat, and the kid's in the back, and everyone else in, on the other side. So one day, the wife was in there. I said, hey, Peter, you can sit there. And I said, no, I'm not worthy to sit in that seat. That's for your wife. And he looks at me and said, no, Peter, you know, you're worthy to me, you're chosen, you're gift. And, and I said, how am I gift to you? He said, 
you teach me how to see people the best way possible. And I was like, oh, you know. And then he looks at me and said, you're brave. I'm like, I am not. A, I'm a failure of all. I'm not brave. He said, you lived on the streets for, in Kampala for five years. I could not survive one day. So you're brave in a way that I could never be. So he humbled himself to see the worst in, in me and turn them into positive. And, and I think that's what we ought to do to our kids. When they come from school, they are struggling with school. To say, no, you can do it. Just say, no matter if you fail, I love you anyway. You know, My love isn't dependent on how well you do in school or how often, but I, I love you. So a good father is encouraging and a good father is humble. Yes. And sees the small to, in, to, to hold on those, to really use them to encourage their kids. I've seen a bunch of the small that you're referring to in your Instagram feeds. And the reels, there's I, like like getting your nails done by your daughter. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Or combing hair. Combing hair, you know, that's, and I realize I am a male. I have zero hair, zero, you know. Well, we um, have the same white color beard, but you got no hair on your head. Your <laughs> I'm hair. trying to hang on to what I've got. Yeah. <laughs> but boy, holding that brush um, yeah. and watching my daughter just no, no move, you know. But I realize like, oh, she's really, the dad, my dad is here. And he's taking time to do my hair. I would do it without asking, but now she comes to say, can you do my hair? And for me, that trust to say, I have a dad and I trust my dad that he would do my hair the way I want it. You know, and I'm like, wow, you know. There's got to be some really tough days. Tough days where discipline is, is it's, it's going to happen. I've told my boys countless times as they're growing up, look, I love you unconditionally. I do not like what's happening right now. Don't associate if I like what's going on with I love you because the two are separate. I love you. I don't like the situation. And because you lack self-discipline, I will now be disciplining you. Correct. How do you manage that when these kids look at you? And and there's got to be a moment where you see it in their eye too. They they think, you're not my dad. (laughs) Oh, yes. I mean, I even tell you. You know, or even say you're a worse dad, if, if that might help you. You know, even voice it out. But I think for me, I, I parent kids who are from hard places, you know, with trauma. So to be able to navigate and say there's bad behavior, there's hormones as teenagers, but also there's trauma in my kids. To be able to navigate, which one am I dealing with, you know? And uh, as a dad, when your kid is saying you're the worst dad, I wish I never met you, or... Man, to my to my soul, it can be really hurtful, but also can take me back to where I come from, to the father I had. And for me, learning to say, I'm going to move myself. I'm going to deal with you and help you <laughs> see where you need to go, but not include myself. In other mm. words, let my emotions out of this, you know, let my feelings out of this in order to be there for this kid. And so that really helps me to be tender to be patient and to be firm of what I'm saying without involving myself in a way has helped me. Uh, in, in Yeah, I can tell you there's a few holes in my home. You know, I, I'll be honest. Holes in the walls. Holes in the walls, you know. But even when that is happening for me to sit and say, this kid, he has an issue that is happening and he's speaking a language and he's talking me to a way I do not appreciate. But at the same time, I ought to listen to him. I want him to be hard. I truly want to. And I'm going to, Distance myself, put myself on the side and say, I'm going to listen, son. I'm going to listen and sit there and listen and let him just vent, put as many holes he wants to. But at the end, to come back and say, son, I know you're hurting. How can I be of help? I listened. How can I be of help? 
it's a hard thing for a lot of men to do is just slow down long enough to, to listen. Guys, I'm not being hard on us as men or as fathers, but we like to fix stuff. Right, exactly. Well, I mean, after yelling at me, trust me, I say, sure, I listen, we go have ice cream, but at the end of the day, I say, but I don't need that phone. Yeah, I, the, part of the fixing it is the conclusion of the discipline. Absolutely. But we don't have to just fix first. It's listen first, assess, respond, then right. work on fixing it. Absolutely. And as a foster parent, it's something I've learned. I want to fix it right now, but to say, back up, Peter, back up. And most time for me, back up is myself in, in the midst of that to say, I'm going to put myself aside to make sure that what I'm hearing or what I'm seeing doesn't include me. <laughs> it, it only solely includes my child. Uh, and that truly helps me. To talk with, not just to your kids. Huh. Good fathers are encouraging. Good fathers are humble. Good fathers are good listeners. What else? Good fathers, we try to not make it personal. You know, that's a tough one uh, because in the moment, it's very personal. And, and when you think about it, guys, we have this rolling through our heads like, do you even know what I do for this family? The sacrifices, the hard work, the, and, and you hear my tone of voice even changes. I describe that because that's been my own mindset before. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a tough one, though, too. Oh, yeah. Make it personal. <laughs> yes. My, my team the other day said, you know, I said, I said, I'm just trying to help you. I don't want you to ever go to jail. He's like, I think jail is better than this house. <laughs> <laughs> I can drop you off. You want to give it a day exactly. or two? You get um, one phone call. Use it wisely. I'll come pick you back up. <laughs> yes. But I, in my head, there's so much I wanted to say. But I was like, uh, <clears throat> not now. <laughs> not now. You yeah. know. Uh, what about the L word? Do you tell your kids you love them? Yes, because it's a word I never heard in my life. No one ever told me they loved me. No one ever showed it to me. No, not nothing. No, not at all. And for me to learn that, but I've come to learn in Africa, words don't really mean much. It's the action. You know, we love by what we do. We learn by how we show it. We learn by showing up. That's what love is. So to make sure that I, that goes hand in hand with the rest. You know, no, I love you but I cannot apologize for being mean to you yesterday or an hour ago, you know? But to say, I'm, I'm really sorry, and, I, really, and I, I love you. The man who took me in, he never told me, Peter, you have to clean. Peter, you have to do this. He just went in the kitchen, and I watched him wash dishes, you know? Uh, if he wanted to clean his car, he would, you know, he'd just say, can you hold the hose for me but while he's washing his, his, his car? And for me, that really taught me. He ne- I just watched what he did. And I've learned to do the same. I, I don't have to tell my kid, hey, he's, make your bed every day. No, can I come and help you make your bed? We do it together, you know. Come alongside and they get to watch <laughs> what I do. That I'm the best example, the best love as well, you know. I can say it all along, but if I don't respect them or if I don't listen, if I don't validate what they feel, as I said, sometimes they're cussing me using the F word, you know. But in those moments, to say, I really understand how you're feeling and it's okay. It's okay, you're mad. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, and that's a thing for me where love is. So a good role of a father is also to love in word and deed. Yes. Even when they're dropping the F-bomb at you. Mm-hmm. What I've learned in my life, where to love the most. When the F-bombs are coming to you. Well, that goes back to the previous principle, um, don't take it personal. Right. But as a father, we do take a lot of things personal. Yes. 
what aspects of being a father should we take personal? For me, where I'm failing, that's why I take it personal. That's why I take them all. When I'm failing, when I'm failing in places that I need to do better, I take it personal. I take my kids' love personal. Mm-hmm. I take uh, my responsibility to provide for my family personal. Yes. I take my mistakes, I agree with you, personal. And, and it's better if I'm the one that figured it out rather than someone else and pointed it out. Right. But uh, I think there's some things as dads we need to take very personal. You know, and for me, a dad of foster kids, you know, yeah, sorry, if, um, there's one anger I have, like the anger that I feel every day that a father could walk away from their kid and never any one point in their life say, where are my kids? I, I, me parenting someone else's kids is amazing, but at the same time, just leaves me the, the ugly side of men. Like, how do you... How, how do you walk in that society and say, I'm a man enough to do when you failed? It's easier. This is, this is, I'm serious. Mm-hmm. It's got to be extremely painful. I would hope it'd be painful. But there's men out there, I'm certain, who are not connected as fathers because it's just easier. They've got their own thing going on. And why get in the way of that? It's been too long since I contacted them anyway. Or how would I even go about it? It's or, a hard road. Hard Absolutely. road. You know? and, and for me, being a dad who are traumatized by lack of their father, they aren't looking for a father, as I said, to buy them the best gift. They're just looking for a dad say, it's going to be okay. Hey, how are you? How was your day? You know, I, I had to forgive my Which dad. Which is hard to do. It's harder to get personal with our kids and it is just go buy them a gift. It's easier to <laughs> yes. go buy them a gift yes, so they I like them. Yeah. You know, for me, I had to forgive my dad. I knew of all God gave me, that was the only dad he gave me. He didn't give me a bad dad. I, he gave me a dad who chose to be bad. And, and to not dwell on what he did not do or dwell on his abuse, but not take his, I didn't want him to rob my future. I didn't want to take his behaviors or the anger that I had or with me because I knew it would take away what my future could be. And for me, that has really helped me to not dwell on the past, to not dwell on things that have happened. I think sometimes that's what really has made us dads fail. You know, uh, my dad wasn't there, so I'm not going to be there for someone, or I can't afford this one. No, you know, that's what my father, that was the, as you said, that was the cheap way for him to just, I'm going to be mean that no one can ask me. You know, I'm going to be horrible, but but just so I don't have to take a responsibility of, I don't know, taking care of, of anyone. How did you forgive your father? For me, I had to. So, so I was working in Rwanda during the genocide in Rwanda. On, on the day I arrived, I saw more than 3,000 dead bodies. You know, And for me, I was like, man, how could people, how could human beings kill each other that way? And so I was mad. But then I was, as I was going through it, I was like, wait a minute. But that's the anger I have towards my dad. I was 19, 20. I was like, I wanted to go back home and kill my dad or break his leg. That was my whole intention in life, you know. But then as I saw what happened to one, I was like, wait, that is where hatred comes. That's what it, the end of hatred. And I didn't want to do that to my father. And I remember looking at the driver and saying, you know what? I just really want to let it go forgive my dad and he said why I said hating him is robbing my own future and I don't want him to do that and that's how I forgive my dad and I forgive him not he can forgive me or say hey sorry son that's what I did it was more of it was my part he didn't have to respond or he didn't have to answer I think that's where sometimes us fail well I've forgiven him but he's still a bad dad yeah he is 
for me to forgive and let it go. Hey, it's my, it's coming from me. There's no reciprocal I'm waiting for, I'm expecting. So we can let it go without having to hear from the Father. Yes. It has to be from you, not from them. To anyone, it has to be. You have to let it go or else he's going to take you with you in ways that you have no clue about. Hmm. Do you have a uh, shining parent moment? Like a moment where you're like, I was the best parent that day. The best parent ever. Crushed parenting. I was the best dad on the face of the earth at that moment right there. Do you have that moment? Oh, yes. I have those moments, you know. Um, or sometimes when I get a phone call from my principal, and I'm like, oh, no. What just happened? You know? And then they're like, oh, by the way, we want to appreciate your son for what, you, for what he did. And you're like, wait, my son? You know? And and you should see me on the other side jumping up and down. That <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm a father. That's you my know? boy. <laughs> because on, to the outside world, he stood up and stood what the principles I've taught him and, and also what I live for, that he stood to do that. I'm like, yes. Do you share that with your kids? Your pride in them? Yes. You know, absolutely. The family that changed my life used 12 words of affirmation, and that's what I've memorized, you know? Every time I did something, no matter how small they say, you matter, you're special, you're chosen, you're a gift. You know, you're not alone, you're enough. And those memories, and I've learned how to use that to my kids as well. Like, hey, that was really cool, special that you did that for. We're proud of you. We tell our boys every day, go be strong, brave, and of great courage. Every single day when I was home, I would tell them that as they got on the school bus or when they got in their car to drive to school. Or if I was traveling, I'd text it to them or call them and tell them the same thing every day. You are strong, brave, of great courage. May God give you vision, direction, and protection today. Mm-hmm. I think it's so important our kids hear that level of, of commissioning and belief that there is greatness in them. Right. And we've got their back as <laughs> they go figure that out. Yes. And sometimes they teach me. Some, you know, we have a saying in our, in our home, redo. Redo is when you do something bad or wrong, and we'll give you an opportunity to redo it again the, the right way. Or redo. Can you do a redo? And I love when my kids say, Dad, can you do a redo? <laughs> To you, like you need to do a redo, Dad. Yeah, like, do a redo. <laughs> oh, uh, yes. Explain how that works. We had a similar process in our home. How could a dad take what you just said, a redo, into his home? Well, the the, the process is we we know our kids need second opportunity. Oh, they need to learn, you know. And to go on the first act they've done and say, "How dare you do that?" To say, "Hey, son or daughter, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to redo that and do it better." Like what? Right. Or they, they are mean. Or they said a bad word towards their, you know, they are mean to their They made sister. a bad decision. Yeah. Or they even, they're saying mean things to their brother. And you say, son, I'm going to give you a redo so you can use kind words to your, to your brother. And they say, okay, I'm sorry. That was mean of me. Or they throw the trash because they were really angry. They throw it in. So I say, okay, I'm going to give you an opportunity to redo, meaning do better. They pick back the trash and put it back how they should have. You know, redo. And then not take it personal, not yell just because they, you gave them a second choice or second chance, you, you don't make a comment after because they did what you, in some way, they redid what you expected them to do. So you walk away. You don't say, I, next, no. It's not like, okay, that was a teachable moment. Let's sit down and talk no. about it. Redo, you do not apprehend or say, don't do it again. No. You gave them that second opportunity to do this, and they did it right. And that's all. 
That's like the only time it existed Absolutely. when they did it. I yeah. like that. I like that a lot. It's yeah. like erasing you that it never happened in a way. The more you do, the more they, they understand. More than once, my sons recognized that they needed a redo in that moment. And we use the same phrase. You want to redo that? And, and they would, something would fall out of their mouth. They didn't think about what they were saying. And then we'd lock eyes and they go, hmm. <laughs> they back out of the room, walk away, and come back in and restate. You know? I think that once they've recognized that redo is safe, it gives our kids an opportunity to practice. They're young. Their brains are still developing. They don't have life experience that we as adults have. Right. Um, yes, they don't feel the burdens of being a parent, but they shouldn't. They're kids. They're kids. And if they have a chance to, to practice and get better, they're never going to be perfect. I've said this before on the podcast countless times. Practice does not make perfect. Practice just helps us get better. Right. Mm-hmm. Helps you, us get better. Absolutely. And, and, and two, you know, as a dad, you know, my dad, all he had was to look at me. And I, my, I mean, I would just... No, I'm in trouble, you know? Oh, my mom just looks at you, give you that eye, like, oh, oh I'm, but to our kids now, it's different, you know? The hardest that I had to learn was to listen. I said, Dad, I want, I have the final word and I have a solution <laughs> for all the problems, you know? But boy, to listen, because their generation, they go on social media, they, all the thing they, they get to hear, or people hear them, or they speak their mind in someone, to know that I ought to do the same. Like, Mike, I got to listen. You know, I don't hold my phone. I don't hold anything. I just look and say, okay. Yeah. All right. Tell us about your book. Now I am known how a street kid turned foster dad found acceptance and true worth. Yes. I've got a new book out. You know, my kids think I'm a cool dad. That's what they say. Dad, you're cool. Sometimes what they tell your friends, you know, but I think I wanted to open the curtain and say, yes, you think I'm cool, but he's where I came from and he's how I beat the odds. Uh, of all people, I never had an opportunity to dream. Of all people, I never had a family. Of all people, there was no opportunity for me to survive. But somehow I survived. So I wanted to kind of really let them in on my life on how someone changed my life. But two, I wanted to show them that, hey, we all go through a difficult time. That's what was my child. To give them a glimpse that you, you don't have to do. You know, Don't let your past define you, but rather embrace your past and use it for good. And that's why I wrote my book. Now you're known to make others known. You know, as as a as a dad to kids who don't look like me, you know, the, the joys of 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 joining that journey with them. You know, you don't look alike, but yet you're family. But yet you get they get to look at you, and you're my dad. There's no dad B. This this is my dad. Like, okay, sure. You know, you run into that though all the time, every day. When you're out in public and people look at you and they see a black man with white kids, do they think they're your kids? Uh, not at all. So for me, once I became a foster dad, I realized that there are three things I wanted to really debunk. One was that the men can't be dads. Like, oh, we, we can't be dads without moms. Like, you're half in some way. But I wanted to say, no, I'm full as a dad with or without mom. It's, it's good to have a mom. But in my case, I'm full of a dad in every shape, form. That I'm, I don't lack or, or less of that. Then the other part was, I think as a black man, we've always been seen as we're not good dads. You know, so I wanted to show that I, I, I can be a good dad. I am a good dad. Then the other part was, 
racism comes in different way. And for me, I'm not into protest, but I wanted to live a life of protest, you know, to show empathy. The same way I have empathy towards my kids is the same empathy I'm looking for. That I love my kids in every way, shape, form. That I think in society, if we can see the best in others or have empathy towards one another, that we, we get to understand one's world, you know. Then the other part, as I come from Uganda, we are colonized by the British. So the British kind of left an impression that to do good, you have to be white. And the rest, we are on the receiving end. Does that make sense? Because you have missionaries who come, they are all Caucasian. You have uh, politicians who come, you know, all people who came to Uganda to do good were always white. So they, impl- in some way, they left that impression of, um, I'll always be on the receiving end, you know? But once I became a foster dad, I think I realized that my kids look different. And then I realized that I have a large following from Africa and from other countries. And they don't follow me because I'm a foster dad, because they don't really understand foster care. But they follow me to see a man who looks like them doing something they never thought they have the right to do so. I've traveled in more than 100 countries. I ask with those who are traveling to, to adapt, I say, you know, can I adapt? They're like, no. Why? You have to be an American and you have to be European or married or single female. For male, you cannot adapt. And I'm like, huh? You know? Yep. Basically, in Ethiopia and Uganda, in most countries, as a male, you cannot adapt due to child trafficking and sex trafficking rules. So, which I understood. But once I came to the United States knowing, like, I can be a foster dad, I was like, okay. This is where I'm going to go, and this is what I'm going to do. The other part I really, that I really wanted to debunk was we live in Charlotte. Charlotte is our community. We should not expect someone else to come from California and fix our problem in North Carolina. Like, this is our community. This is my state. And to know as a male, as a man, as a dad, I have a part to play to improve my community. So if my community has kids who have no place to live, that is my responsibility to make sure as a dad, find a way on how I can step up to the fatherless. So for me, those are the few things that really made me be a false parent, but also really not take it lightly, you know, that for me to make a difference in my community, I can't be a, bus, a pass buyer and hear, hey, in Macomban County, we have 900 kids in false care, and say, oh, that's too bad. No. But me as a dad, me as a male, me as a member of society, and me as a resident of Macomba County, what is my role in that? What is my role in a thousand kids that have no place to stay? I should not keep a blind eye or pretend that isn't happening, but to say, how can I step up? And I know we can't all be false friends. Like I know we cannot be false friends, but we can all do something. And I wanted to do, what is my one thing I can do? You know, what is the one thing I can inspire someone? I have a saying I like to share. It says, I know a good man when I see one. And there's usually a hashtag in there. It's, I know a hashtag good man when I see one. Right. And uh, I'm sitting across from you, and I know a good man when I see one. Well, thank you. The Sam, I feel the Sam. Cool, man. Appreciate talking to you today. Well, thank you. Thank you for the encouragement. Thank you for, for being there. Thank you for joining Peter Mutabazi and myself in today's conversation about being the kind of dad who shares hope, love, and purpose with their kids. To learn more about Peter and his family, foster parenting, his book, and how to connect with Peter on social media, please follow the links in the show notes. If you're enjoying and learning from this and other episodes of the Raising Them Ready podcast, be sure to get a copy of the Raising Them Ready book. It's available wherever you buy your print, digital, and audiobooks. 
There you'll also find our other best-selling life skills and personal development books and resources for tweens, teens, young adults, parents, educators, and mentors. To book me as a guest speaker for your youth, parent, educator, or professional development event, please send me a message through our social media pages or email me through our website. You can find, like, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Raising Ready Podcast and on our website at RaisingThemReady.com. Also, please follow and leave us up to a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions about topics or guests you'd like me to bring to the Raising the Ray podcast, I'd like to hear from you. Contact me through our social media page or website, again, on Facebook and Instagram at Raising the Ready Podcast and online at RaisingTheReady.com. Now, parents, go and enjoy raising your kids ready. Knowing your child's greatness tomorrow begins with your guidance today.